Before we begin, just a quick warning, there is a little bit of cursing in this episode. Welcome to Prehistory with Daniel and Kinese. And and Sylvester. And Sylvester. <laughs> Kinese is holding the cutest baby in the world in her arms, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> So, in our last episode, I disappointed Kenny because instead of getting a story of a garbage person redeeming themselves, she got a story of a garbage person continuing to be a garbage person, that person being the father of Thomas Alexander Dumas. Have you recovered from this revelation, Kenny? Yes. Um, After listening to the recording, I got over it. I was like, you know what? This is life. This is history. (laughs) Oh, well, if it makes you feel better, he's dead, so... There you no, go. it doesn't make me feel better at all because you should suffer. Anyway. Ah, <laughs> oh boy. So for Thomas Alexander Dumas, we learned about his family origins, early life in Haiti and France. His father, Antoine, started off life as an entitled bum, sold his children and their mother to get pocket money, but was kind enough to buy Alex back once he got in his inheritance back in France. So Alex spent, let's call it his college years in Paris, and then joined the army as the wheels of the French Revolution began to turn. That was a very fun period in history, as we know. So we continue our story from there. In July 14th, 1789, the storming of the Bastille happened. Three days later, the King of France met with the revolutionaries, including General Lafayette. Lafayette? I like Lafayette who now headed the Paris National Guard. As Paris rioted, Alex's regiment, the Six Dragoons, were ordered to defend the Chateau of the Orléans family, a branch of the royal house, and the local townsfolk against a wave of violence known as the Great Bear. The orders came from the National Guard, members of the French Guard who had helped to mob the Bastille, and their newly elected commander, Claude Laboré. Now, Claude Laboré was a successful hotel keeper who benefited from being so close to the Duke, the Orleans family, and their entourage. Because as you can imagine, since he got a lot of guests, this guy's services would be in constant demand. So, the dragoons made quite an impression when they rode into town, especially Alex, who fascinated the country folk with his skin color and his tall and striking figure and noble posture. The soldiers stayed with the town folk since there weren't any barracks. Laboret invited Alex to stay with him as a guest, and his daughter Marie-Louise described Alex to her friend in a letter calling him very nice and a fine figure of a man. Ooh. Mm, that's right. Spicy. Spicy. Get you some of that chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex stayed with the Laboret family for four months. They learned that despite his aristocratic background. Despite? Yeah, because remember the revolutionary revolution is all about anti. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Right. Totally. So despite you know, all of that, even though he's rich, he doesn't act rich, rich. You know what I mean? He's like really down to earth. <laughs> he's down to earth, but he's also classy. He he has the the walk. You know, I don't walk like a nobleman. I don't want a nobleman. You don't want a nobleman. I want both. <laughs> But Alex was still a solid, solid supporter of the revolution, and he entertained them with stories of Saint-Domingue and Parisian life when, while they spoiled him and treated him as one of their own. 
And in this case, instead of being separated by race and class, they were joined by their radical Republican beliefs, and it didn't hurt that Alex was very charismatic. So Alex and Marie Louise became engaged. Labrie was happy to agree to it on the condition that Alex wait until he was promoted to sergeant. During the French Revolution and under Napoleon, Alex would exceed those expectations and he rose from dragoon corporal to a general of a division of 10,000 men within a year, which is a staggering climb apparently in a short amount of time. So Alex and Marie's first child, a daughter named Alexandrine, was born shortly afterwards. He was then promoted to commander-in-chief of an army charged with protecting the French border from Spain and then transferred again to command the Army of the Alps in order to secure and open a path into Italy. Alex spent half of winter and then spring in the Alps in a snowy environment he had zero experience in. Despite the learning curve, he successfully led the French Army of the Alps to victory and opened the mountain pass in a few months. During the height of the Great Terror, when paranoia was running high, well, Alex was summoned the before terror? the dreaded the, committee. The Great Terror, is that the time when everybody was talking about these wild... Ugh, I think they were trying to blame it on a monster kidnapping and killing all of these children who was um, watching sheeps. Is that that oh, Great no. Terror? No, no. There was another Great, great terror. terror? There was another Great Terror? I don't know the Great Terror you're talking about. I think most people know the Great Terror being the time when the guillotine was like chopping off heads nonstop. Oh. And everybody was spying on everybody. Oh, I was thinking about the Great Terror of um, when in the rural country, the children that were sent out to watch sheep, to tend to the sheep mm-hmm. during the day, was turning up dead. <laughs> in France? Yes, in France. Do you remember roughly when? Like what time period? I'm, I'm going to... Check. Let me check. Yeah, look it up for me. And like, that sounds interesting. Let me see. Um, it was too early. Sorry, that's a total different terror. It was in 1764 to 1767. Okay, 1764. No, that's not too far from here because we're in like 1790s now. So this is like 30 years earlier. Yeah, 30 years. Yeah. yeah, 30 years. Okay, I will look that up. That is mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, watch puppet history. It's pretty cool. France also had that bluebeard guy who was kidnapping Pickney. Anywho. Okay, so, right. During the height of the Great Terror, when paranoia was running high, the mass was summoned before the dreaded committee. And that's not usually a good sign because that often met, meant a date with Madame Guillotine, whether you were deserving of it or not. And most people were not deserving of it. Everybody was just suspicious of everybody. Thankfully, he was delayed in arriving. By the time he reached Paris, the Great Terror ended with the downfall of Robespierre, who was sent to the guillotine as he had sent so many of his fellow revolutionaries and innocent citizens. Next, Alex was reassigned to a tough stint in Western France, which was in very bad shape after going through constant peasant rebellions, insurgents, and brutal massacres by the Republic. He would be spoken of warmly by both supporters and enemies of the new French Republic. He was allowed to return home to his wife and daughter to recuperate after this last assignment, and his second child was a daughter born in 1796. After that, Alex headed back to Italy as France pressed into the Austrian Empire. Napoleon Bonaparte was climbing up the ranks and earning praise and admiration from his peers. 
Meanwhile, Alex played his own crucial part in the French army's victory while looking out for civilians and preventing abuse from the French soldiers as he always did. Despite all this hard work, Alex's role was downplayed so much that he sounded more like a bystander and he was not amused by this. I mean, before this happened, Alex kind of walked a careful line. He was careful not to offend Bonaparte and other generals, despite being a little disturbed by the hero worship Napoleon was getting. But all of that went out the window when the report of the battle written by Napoleon's aide was published, and he thought it minimized his role in it. And Alex's response was super salty. Would I be able to send you the picture so you can read it, or you want me to read it since you're a bit... I'm not read it for you. Okay, there you go. January 18th, 1797. General, I have heard that Jack... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Start over that sentence, please. <laughs> okay. General, I have learned that the jackass, whose business it is to report to you upon the battle of the 27th, stated that I stayed in observation throughout that battle. I don't wish any such observations on him since he would have shit in his pants. Salute and brotherhood, Alex Dumas. I love it. And that was his letter. Though, mm. mm-hmm. mm. so, perhaps in response to that, um, a polite letter, he was transferred to a lesser position and had to oh, report no. to a commander that he did not like. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. After being notified of this transfer, Alex sent another letter. I'll read this one. Oh no. It's it's calmer. Okay. (laughs) General, To General Bonaparte, I have received your order, General. I will not hide from you the surprise that the news of my transfer caused me. That on the day after a battle whose success I contributed to with all my power, I would see myself so dishonored. And that you, General, who have always seemed to grant your esteem to the brave Republicans in your army, you could, without even meeting me, take your esteem away from me when I did everything to deserve it. I should have hoped for a little more consideration. After having commanded several armies, never defeated, finding myself the oldest general in this army at the moment when I believed I had earned new rights to the confidence of my chief and my comrades, I am sent to command a subdivision. So, yeah, he sent a complaint. A wow. Much polite more polite complaints but even with this block in his career alex continued to work hard and deliver results especially when a sympathetic general who admired him requested alex be placed under his command thanks to his impressive skills as a fighter and tactician he earned himself the name the black devil and bonaparte finally recognized him publicly it seems napoleon had forgiven alex at least while he was useful but Alex got word during this time that his younger daughter, Louise, 13 months old, had died. He was not able to travel home, but his grief was plain in his letters to his wife. Okay, so the next chapter in his life is Egypt and Italy. Egypt? So, wow. Well, I mean... Because. Wow. Because in 1798, Napoleon led his forces into Egypt in the height of summer on a long march through the desert... <laughs> with insufficient supplies and water, in dark woolen uniforms, and carrying 40-pound packs. The reason why he wanted to go into Egypt is that he considered himself um, the next Alexander the Great. So many soldiers died of exhaustion or dehydration, or they were picked off by the locals or committed suicide. 
suicide. <laughs> yeah. Come on, that, that hot, that burning hot. Yeah, they didn't plan for the heat. They barely had supplies for it. They, they, this was just not well planned. It was awful. They were suffering. I thought Napoleon was a great strategist. Is he not? Have I been lied to? After reading this book, I wasn't sure myself. I think <laughs> so. Because there's a lot of stuff I could not include in here. But like he, he probably is, but he also clearly just doesn't care about people below him unless they're big stuff up. So I would like to know that the local Egyptians thought that tall, dark, imposing Alex was a commander and was surprised that skinny little Napoleon was actually in charge. And Napoleon remembered that. I would also like to point out that other than leading his men on this crazy mission to conquer another nation for his own pride, Napoleon had a lovely habit of just getting up and leaving his troops behind or had them go ahead through harsh conditions without any heads up and leaving the other commanders to clean up and organize everyone. So you want to know something funny? Mm. Or what came to my mind a while ago? You know that joke that they always say Napoleon was this short little... um, angry little man and then in history it actually turned out that his height was actually average height for most um people in europe mm-hmm. what if that rumor became well known because of the time when they went to egypt and they were seeing tall alexander alexander dumas standing beside frail little napoleon forgetting everybody else and they're going yeah man napoleon shot look at him look at him next to alex <laughs> Look at him. I, <laughs> if that rumor was started by the Egyptians, I would love that. That'd would be make funny my day. because think about it. That thing is something that is just being perpetuated throughout history. All of our cartoons, we see him as this tiny little thing. And then when we grew older, we found out actually he was average height. And then you just said that, that people were just shocked that this tiny little man was commanding this dark skin, you know, tall man they're like uh uh-uh, uh no man no <laughs> that man's shot <laughs> makes sense um, kind of yeah i love that while on their way from alexandria to cairo dumas and other generals vented their frustrations and when napoleon heard about it he confronted dumas and and they had a falling out so basically dumas and the other generals went into their tent and they started to you know complain about yeah, their grievances about their boss yeah yeah exactly yeah. and they ate somehow alex i don't know why i didn't write down the details i do remember that in this part of it alex phoned or got or his people phoned some watermelons and they were just sitting down chilling eating watermelons in the tent bitching about napoleon napoleon the requested to return to france and napoleon didn't stop him saying he was replaceable despite Aye. all the wins alex gave him including putting down a revolt in Cairo. We can definitely see where Napoleon's downfall began. So all this, I don't think he was a good strategist. I'm pretty sure that it was probably all of his generals that collectively helped him that made him seem like, you know, I can do this. He took the credit. I'm not sure. I won't go as far to say that because I did not read about him in depth. I'm he probably did get some victories, maybe more so back in France, but I don't know. I didn't really focus on him, so I don't know. Mm. Um, Napoleon said at the time he would have the moment 
memorialize that revolt that Alex put down in Cairo. He said, Napoleon said that he would have the moment memorialized in a painting with Alex being the central figure. But when the painting finally was commissioned, it showed a white man charging into the mosque. So, <sighs> yeah. He, um, Alex sent a letter ahead to his wife, letting her know he was on his way and boarded a boat with coffee and Arabian horses to sell. But no, the boat was just not in good condition. Alex and some of the other his other comrades were forced to pull into Naples as he left Egypt. Naples was going through political upheaval, and that's an oversimplification, but a part of that included some violent anti-French sentiment. The mass was locked up for about two years. His health, um, his health had already been going downhill after the Egypt expedition, but this incarceration made it get worse even faster and he mm. suspected he was being poisoned we're not sure if that's the case or not but i mean he just was not in a good place so either or mm. alex developed an illness that left him paralyzed in the face uh diuretic partially deaf partially blind and he got wow. headaches. yeah his hearing eventually came back but he was in rough shape Alex was finally released, along with other French prisoners of war, when Naples made a peace deal with Napoleon, along with other European powers. He was reunited with his beloved wife and family. During his imprisonment, Marie had been relentless in writing letters to army officials to find out what happened to her husband. So their reunion must have been such a relief after two years of abrupt silence, because no one knew where this guy went. So despite all that Alex had done for the New Republic and Napoleon's military campaigns, he was never able to get promised reparations from France for his inhumane captivity in Italy or even his army pensions. And no wonder, whatever little inches of equality had been given to Black and mixed French people were ruled back under Napoleon's reign, including in the colonies they still had. It was during this time Napoleon was fighting with Toussaint, the great Haitian revolutionist, and took Toussaint's sons from a school in Paris as hostages. Okay, you're telling me Toussaint had the French Revolution, pissed off Napoleon, Napoleon and then decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send my children into the clutches of the hand that is my greatest enemy and that I owe money to. Why would he do that? So I'm... Pretty sure when I looked this up, and to be fair, I didn't look it up hard because I figured we'd get to Toussaint one day anyway, but I believe he sent them there before things got sour. I no, guess it doesn't then, make sense because he you, was a... You just fought for your freedom. You tore the freedom out of the hand of Napoleon because, you know, the whole French Revolution, it was an inspiration for the Haitians to go, listen, they want to be free. We want to be free, obviously. And Mm-hmm. Why would I? Let me picture it, put it in the 21st century. You kidnapped me, right? You worked me for years, right? Then one day I decided that I'm going to get up and revolt and gain my freedom. And then you tell me, say, oh, by the way, in order to be free, you're going, you owe me a million dollars. And I'm like, all right, cool. I owe you a million dollars. I'm going to pay to you every year. Then I'm going to take up my child and put the child into your house and say, don't worry. Yeah, he's going to be well-educated in that country. Why would I do that? You've never heard of diplomacy? No, sir. Diploma what? 
diploma walk. After you have me just free myself as slaves, so you're going to take my... No, sir. No, 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 no. That make no sense to me. Called diplomacy. building relationships, Kenny. So I'm going to and give my trust. child to a loan shark. I'm going to give my child to an extortionist and say, yeah, man, I trust you. Apparently that don't make sense to me because we all know, you know, we all know, you know, France has been completely unfair to Haiti all, for all of these years. And it's something that I think that they need to address in the 21st century because Haiti wouldn't be such an impoverished country if they never had to pay out so much money. They were one of the wealthiest islands in the Caribbean. And then just because I fought for my freedom, just because I, as a, I'm going to go there, I, as a sex slave, decided that I'm going to rebel against my owner and take my freedom. I owe you money. And then I have to pay it. And they're still paying it. And then afterwards, you're looking down at a country and say, and you don't think to yourself, if I was being extorted for all of my life, my family, my grandmother, my father, for years, you don't expect me to be living in an impoverished state? That makes sense. And then you're going to send a picnic? That makes no sense yeah. to me. France need to, to do better. You know, so people are going to say. Mm-hmm. No, no, you're right. Because unfortunately, if um, I recall that there was a. I, uh, some movement in France fairly recently and this is off the top of my head when I was remembering some other podcasts talk about this um, young woman who was protesting um, something about racism in France but specifically the fact that they I believe that they are trying like by law to be uh, colorblind which is not the right way That's to go not gonna help the racism situation. it's not because it's Right, because you don't want to be colorblind. That's not going to help. Because every culture, every culture, every person is, you know, their culture goes with their color. And if you're going to pretend to be colorblind and you say something insulting to the person and the person is trying to tell you that it's insulting to me and then you're going to be like, oh, no, I didn't mean it in an insultive way. I don't even see color. I don't even see culture. But at this moment that you're speaking it, it's very insultive to me. So you need to be aware of the person that you're speaking, their color and their culture. What you need to do as people is just accept that there are different people, different cultures, and just put respect on the name. Just put yeah. respect on the people and culture. And then boy, it's a whole thing. Because even with the whole history has unfolded in such a way that there's so much chaos nowadays. And if a lot of the developed countries had admitted that they did build their country off of the backs of developing countries we would be a so much better so much better yep you took from my home in order to build your home you can't call my home poor or squalor and don't expect me to go it's your fault you took from my home um to answer your question about the sons although this is not quite in context so i guess we really will dive into it when we do Toussaint one day this is a paragraph from wikipedia a few weeks after louverture's triumph over the village insurrection france's representatives of the third commission arrived in saint-domingue among them was the commissioner who had previously declared the abolition of slavery on the same day as louverture's proclamation of camp Terrell. At first, the relationship between the two men was positive. The commissioner promised, sorry, the, the commissioner 
promoted Louverture to general and arranged for his sons to attend the school that had been established in France for the children of colonials. Guadeloupe was also fighting to keep emancipation, and their leader was Louis Delgres, a col- well, a colonel, I almost said colonial, a colonel who had served in the Black <laughs> Legion under Damas. Okay, so like everybody was important was in Damas's little um, group. Any colonies that had moved to abolition had slavery legally reinstated. Officers and soldiers of color who had retired from the military or been discharged were banned from Paris, and other black soldiers still on duty were demoted. Only white soldiers would be allowed to command regiments moving forward. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So all that's happening. <laughs> ah. So Dumas repeatedly petitioned for his pension with no success while he struggled to provide for his family. Oh, no. He died from stomach cancer in February 1806. So yeah, our friend Thomas. Unfortunately, the end was a bit sad, even though he really had some good glory days because um, Napoleon was bitter and racist. Did you know, because I ended mm-hmm. up researching it, did you know that there actually was a statue dedicated to Thomas? And when Germany occupied France, they actually destroyed the statue? I did. That was in my last paragraph. Because I love that you looked this up. Did you look it up or did you just book up on it? I book up on it. Mm-hmm. Pinterest. Oh, Pinterest. Yeah. My Pinterest, oh, Pinterest is filled with a lot of history stuff. So I end up reading, you know, a lot of crap. So did they offer Thomas to you or you just threw his name in there? No, no, no. They offered. A lot of the things that I, I end up looking is related to World War II. Um, a lot of different stuff. because even. I think what came up today was the um, Indian princess who was a spy for the English people and was killed by the Nazi. I think she used to transmit secret codes in France, in occupied France, and then they killed her. And she tried, I think she tried to escape like three times. And then like the last time when they decided to kill her, the last thing she screamed was liberty. And then they shot her in the head. Yeah. Holy cow. She was an Indian princess. (laughs) Okay. You can be sure to send her name over after we're done because i'd like to read up on that mm. although it's going to be depressing <laughs> but yeah um i did know about the statue and they did work hard they took 10 years to raise money to get that statue made wow and then even after it was sculpted it stood covered and forgotten for the better part of a year <sighs> so that happened i will post a picture of the statue on insta when to go along with this episode because it it really is a nice picture of him standing proud Mm -hmm. (laughs) napoleon napoleon his son the famous novelist to be alexander damas was three years old when alex senior passed away despite his young age he remembers spending a lot of time with his doting father and hero worshipped him the family was plunged deeper into poverty on you know, or Alex's death, and Marie had to make ends meet by working in a tobacco shop. Alex Jr. couldn't even afford basic secondary education. The family blamed Napoleon for their misfortune, believing I that his do. spite, yeah, no, right, no. believing that his spite and hatred of Alex Sr. was the reason why they were unable to receive his back pay, and that is surely correct. That is true. That is so true. 
Marie never stopped petitioning for her husband's old pay. For years and years, she wrote endlessly to advocate for herself and her children. Once, one of Napoleon's generals brought up the Damas family, and the emperor is said to have stamped his foot and said, I forbid you to ever speak of that man. Mm. So that's it. Um, we already talked about the statue, and but that pretty much wraps up Alex Sr.'s life. So, yay. Awesome. Even though he died a tragic death just because of his color. Like he most, did, but at least like he most inspired his son to be a great writer. So that's that's a legacy, even though you don't get to live to see it. That's something. But yeah. A lot of people want their roses before they die. Thank you for listening. Join us in two weeks for the next episode. The best way for you to help keep this show going is to spread the word about it. Like or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen and leave a review. See you. Say bye, Bye, Kenny. Bye-bye.